TGIM, Team RE. This is episode 282. They say you can, it's a way, but it may not be the best way because if we could just all quit on our own without any real help, then nobody would be an alcoholic and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. And in case you were wondering what TGIM means, it's a borrowed phrase, it's not mine, but it stands for Thank God It's Monday. So I hope today is treating you well and you're off to a great start. On today's podcast, we've got Michael. He took his last drink on May 13th, 2019, and he's from Missouri. Michael shares how he feared life after quitting drinking. What will I do with myself once I quit? I know that this fear is shared amongst many listeners who have maybe considered quitting. So if you're wondering the same thing and you're out there listening today, I really want to encourage you to be open as Michael shares his story. And hey guys, fun announcement. Our website got a tune-up and we are excited about it. Recovery Elevator is growing and you can see what we're up to on our site. Check out recoveryelevator.com and let us know what you think. I also would encourage you all to check out the events page as we have an amazing lineup for retreats, meetups, and alcohol-free trips coming up starting this October. Alrighty, let's get started. Today I want to talk about something that is a bit uncomfortable. I want to challenge you to tune in with your body as you're listening to this intro and notice if you feel any tension arise as you hear me speak in the next few minutes. Our minds are tricky. I mean, our brain and our subconscious seek for comfort always. Anything that challenges our comfort zone will automatically raise up some red flags and have us feeling all sorts of emotions, aka fight or flight mode. So today I want to talk to you about a few not so fun things I wish someone would have shared with me early in my journey. Don't get me wrong. There's a general consensus out there from people that I know and from my friends and family agreeing that I'm a grand optimist. I tend to focus on the bright side and I genuinely believe that the glass is always half full. However, the reason why I want to share the following things with you is this. You are on the right path if you relate to anything that I'm about to share. There have been a handful of moments in my journey where I question myself and ask, is this working? Are my efforts moving me in the right direction? Is this working? Should I just go back to the way things were? Is this working? (laughs) You get the picture. Many moments of is this working pop up in our minds. And of course, you know, it's working when you wake up with a clear mind and you don't wake up hungover. Or how about when you start sleeping like a baby and you get a really good night's rest? Or when you realize you've saved a ton of money because you're not drinking, when you're being told by friends and family that you look great, that you look energized. In those moments, it's easy to be like, Hell yeah, this is working, alcohol is shit. Here's a more unconventional list though of moments and situations you may or may not have had already when it's still working even though it may not feel like it. It's working when you're feeling extra tired, especially those first couple months. I mean, I just wanted to take a three-hour nap in the middle of the day. I felt super fatigued and I was very frustrated that I wasn't feeling as energized as I heard many people who had quit drinking say. It's working when you feel cravings come up around different things. 
Maybe you never had a sweet tooth and all of a sudden you find yourself buying pints of ice cream on a weekly or daily basis. You start wondering, is this better than drinking? Should I maybe go back to my nightly glass or two of wine instead of buying all of my local grocery stores Ben and Jerry's? It's working when you start feeling disconnected to people, to places, to friends. It even feels a bit lonely at times. It's working when it hurts, when you feel pain, when you just want to cry, when you feel anger arise perhaps for the first time in a very long time. It's working when you feel big feelings. It's working when you want to run away from the roller coaster of emotions, when drinking feels like a better experience or an easier solution than sitting there, not knowing what to do with all of these feelings. It's working when you start questioning some aspects of your life, when you start challenging relationships, goals, boundaries. Perhaps you even feel guilty for wanting a different life than what you thought. You may take a step back, zoom out at your life, and realize that a lot of it is a byproduct of your old self, someone who feels very different than who you are now. It's working when you find yourself grieving for old times, but also knowing that you would never fit in there anymore. You'd be the oddball at the bar that used to be your favorite, and even if you wanted things to be the way that they once were, they will never be the same. That hurts, and that's grief, and that means that it's working. I'm hoping at this point some of this is resonating with some of you. You can miss something that you never want to go back to. You can miss drinking and know that you don't want to drink anymore. You can have moments where you wonder, is this working? That is when it is most likely working. When the growth and the change and the abundance are right around the corner, you just can't see it or feel it yet. So trust, be patient, stay the course. In Rumi's words, the wound is the place where the light enters you. All right, eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on Ari for this episode. And before we hear from Michael, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Michael, welcome. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. And all right, let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink? My last drink was May 13th of 2019. You just hit a year recently. How are you feeling about that milestone? Really excited. Really excited. Yeah. That's amazing. Congrats. It's a huge accomplishment. So I hope you feel very proud. And can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? 
Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Absolutely. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. I was born and raised here. I am married for 14 years now. I got two children, a 12-year-old son and a nine-year-old daughter. And outside of a 10-year stint in the military, I've been here my whole life. The military took me all over the world. It was a blast. I saw a lot and I had a, a really good time. And then for fun, I work and I play a lot of video games and then just spend a lot of quality time with my family as much as I can now anyways. That sounds great. And can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking? When did you start drinking? Do you have any early memories? When did you realize alcohol was no longer serving you? And when did you decide to make a change? Absolutely. I started young, like a lot of us do. I was probably 14. And uh, from the get go, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was good at it. And I mean, that's horrible to say, but it's the truth. I really was good at it. And very quickly, within a year, um, I was drinking a pint or more. Uh, it was always hard liquor for me, even at that young age. Um, I mean, I would drink beer, but it was liquor if I could. And it progressed quickly. By the time I was a junior or senior in high school, I was drinking before school, at lunch, and then after school. Unfortunately or fortunately, I was able to still maintain uh, decent grades, uh, very athletic, did all the extracurricular activities I could throughout high school. But I was still every day, almost every day drinking or every chance I could. It was difficult at that time because I was underage. But any, any, any opportunity that was there, I was doing it, even if it included having to skip school and whatnot. But I graduated. I knew I wanted to join the Marine Corps. And in 2002, I left for the Marine Corps. The military was great for me. I got everything out of it I needed, the discipline I needed. It put me on a good path to being a, a productive citizen for, for America. But I still drank, and I was drinking all the time. I mean, there were... I think in high school, it was every opportunity I could. It didn't matter when. With the military, I didn't always have the option to. I was out training. I was deployed, things of that nature. So I guess it was more binge drinking at that point. When I had the opportunity, I would, but there were long stretches of time where I couldn't. And so it kind of transitioned to my drinking transition to that type of drinking. I'm just curious, since you mentioned that you were a consistent drinker from when you began drinking... Did you ever start thinking, oh, I drink, this isn't normal, I drink different than other people? Or were you just like, oh, this is what everyone's doing? Or did you also have an early age of questioning if what you were doing was even like what everyone else was doing? Initially, through, through the school years, I really leaned into it and kind of accepted that that's what I was like. I didn't use the term alcoholic at the time, but I was like, I am a drinker, I'm a partier, this is what I do, I mm -hmm. love it. I, I really embraced it. And then in the Marine Corps, it was the same until about the last year of that four-year enlistment. And that last year, I was like, whoa, I really have a problem. I think I'm an alcoholic. And so I had asked my my leaders, I said, hey, is there something you can do? And, and that's the first time I went to some type of program. You know, there's a term that they call it in the military, but in essence, it's AA for the Marine Corps, what I can recall at this time. And it was just daily classes, um, them teaching you about alcohol and how it can affect you adversely in your life. And I don't really recall all of it. It was in 2005 that this happened, but that was the first time I said, hey, I got a problem, let's work on this. And by that point, when I finally said, hey, it's, it's time to look into this and see what we can do to fix it. I mean, I was drinking two bottles, two fifths of, of whiskey a, a day pretty well seven days a week. So, I mean, it was obviously a problem and it was a culture I lived in and it was accepted. 
but it was just getting so excessive. I was like, I can't keep doing this. And um, it didn't stick trying to quit that first time, but it was the beginning of the end for me. And after that, I got out for a couple of years, got married, started my family. Um, 2008 happened. I was doing construction work, really loved it, but the market was kind of drying up. So I said to the wife, I get, uh, this was four years into our marriage now. I was like, I think I'm going to join the military again. And so I enlisted in the army this time. And we were moved around the world. I deployed a couple more times during that enlistment of six years. And the, con- the drinking just continued. It, it just continued. Um, I can't really say it got worse because it, it's been that bottle a day for a long time now. It, it, but it was steady. I really, I, I want to say like my downfall or the hardest thing for me is I, I am a high bottom drunk. Like I am, I, I haven't had any adverse outside of marital issues or my, my wife not being happy with it. You know, I, this is what I tell people when I talk about it. Like I have no DUIs. I, I don't beat my family. I'm never late for work. I show up and produce. I don't really have hangover issues. So like, I just never had a real negative consequence outside of it being excessive. And I know like inside, and, and now that I have a year behind me, like I, I can see more of the negative, but at the time I didn't have that. I've gone to AA, I've been in three or four different rehabs with the military, not with the military. And so I've been shown a lot of the tools to not drinking. Yeah, I, I, it's challenging to be quote unquote high functioning, right? Because we don't have or a rock bottom moment, we don't have a lot of yets, like you haven't crashed a car yet, or you don't have three DUIs yet. And I speaking from my experience, that's harder, because like you said, you had all those tools, but I feel like maybe a part of you didn't think that those tools were for someone like you. So that kind of prevents us from seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, sometimes I wish I had a horror story or a real low bottom to talk about because then it would maybe be that shot in the butt that I needed to motivate me. Really, honestly, it just took, let's see, 14 to 35 or 6. I mean, whatever. It took 22 years for me to really figure out what I needed to do to stop or that I even needed to stop. I think my big problem was is I, like I said in the very beginning, I leaned into this. Like I identified as an alcoholic. It, you know, the first six years it was quiet and I didn't talk about it. The last 18 years, like I would say, Hey, I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, let's go work and then let's go have fun afterwards. Like I wasn't ashamed of it. I was open about it. I told everyone I knew they'd see the way I drink and they'd be like, Well, man, you good? I was like, Yeah, I'm good. I promise I'll be there in the morning. It's not a problem. And so I almost, embodied the ideal of being an alcoholic and just loved it and and it became who I was and and the the last 15 years has been nothing but me just like I am an alcoholic and almost being like I am proud to be an alcoholic I am proud that I am able to do this day in and day out and still be as functioning as I am no inside I knew it was not good Yeah. So if you didn't have that shame or that fear of calling yourself out, what was it that led you down this path? And, you know, I know you mentioned marital issues, but what was it that made you say, okay, well, I may not have a problem with it, but I also deep down maybe want to make a change or walk us through what what happened next in your journey? Like a lot of us, I've tried multiple times to stop over the years. And uh, listening to the podcast, you know, the similarities are just glaring me in the face every time I listen. And it's like, it was hard for me 
it's still hard for me to even really put my head to it or wrap my head around it. But I think it was something in me realizing like I wasn't living to my full potential. I, I try, I work really hard on myself every day to be the best person I can be and work as hard as I can and set the example for the guys that are younger than me that I work with, set the example for my children and, and be just honestly the best person I can. And I fell a lot and I, you know, we all do and I'm okay with that. And it, really that failure is what allows you to grow and learn and get better. And not being able to quit and quitting for a day or two or three days and then being like, okay, let's just have a drink again. Like just failing over and over and over again. It really was finally getting to me. Like I either got to be able to do this and say I can do this, or uh, I guess it really showed me that there was something wrong. I mm. like, I can't put it in words. I can't, it's not tangible what was wrong, but it was obviously an issue if I can't quit. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that's what it was. And I'm just kind of thinking through it with you here, but maybe it was the fact that I couldn't quit was my bottom. Like it really was what led me to figure out like, I have to do this. And I mean, I finally did. It was just a lot of work and, and there was a lot of help from other people, honestly. So a year ago, a year and a couple of weeks ago, you woke up one morning and you just said, I'm going to try today and it just stuck or walk us through that early process from a year and a little bit ago. Yeah, it was kind of like that. I did wake up on a Tuesday morning, I believe it was, and I was like, I got to quit again. I got to try to quit again. And like I said earlier, I've been through a lot of different programs. And so I have a lot of knowledge and, and I know the tools are there and I know the tools to do it or I have the tools to do it. But one thing that it never really dawned on me was like, I'm big into tech and computers. I have a background in IT work. And I was like, well, let me see if there's any, if there's any like podcast. I'm lucky enough that I work a, a job that allows me to listen to music or podcast audiobooks throughout the day, as long as I'm being productive. And so I had been listening to podcasts and I, and then I just searched and there was, there was recovery elevator and I gave it a try and it really just set well with me. And what and what finding a podcast did for me was allow me to completely saturate my life the whole day, uh, just with recovery, with with being in recovery nonstop. And I went back to the beginning. I guess RE was at probably two and a half years, three years. Well, no, I guess it was longer than that. It didn't seem like, you know, there had been plenty of episodes. So I could go back to the very beginning, which is what I did. And on that day, that entire day, I did nothing but listen to one episode after the other. And then I did it the next day. And then I went and found an app. Um, it's called Sober Grid. I hope it's okay that uh, I plug it, but it's called Sober Grid. Totally. We love and, sharing resources. So thank you. Sober Grid? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. And uh, I, I started using the app. And I don't really post on it. It's kind of like Facebook, but for recovery. And I just started reading that on my off hours when I wasn't working, but I was listening to the podcast continuously while working. And I don't know, it just kind of stuck with me this time. I learned more, of course, listening to the podcast, but it really just reinforced everything I had been told before. And it was that constant in my ear, literally through the headphone reminder that I got this, I can do this. I just got to stay focused. That allowed me to, I, think get where I am today um you know sometimes I think hey you know month nine ten I was like man I'm really you know I'm white knuckling this in the beginning it was just I didn't have time to think about it and I didn't give myself time to think about it I just focused on recovery I focused on work and I focused on my family 
And for six months, that's what it was. Every day, constantly. Weekends, nights. I'd fall asleep at night with the headphones in, Mm -hmm. listening to it or listening to motivational music. I found some of that online on Spotify, where it's just motivational speakers with music in the background talking about like focusing and staying positive and looking for and being grateful. Gratefulness is a huge one for me. But by month six, I was like, man, I'm kind of white knuckling this. And through the years going to different programs, you know, I, I... I always was, it was always said, you know, you really can't do that. They say you can, it's a way, but it may not be the best way. Cause if we could just all quit on our own without any real help, then every, nobody would be an alcoholic and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah. And white knuckling, at least everyone has their own definition, but for me, white knuckling also removes the joy that is very present and still there buried under the fog that we had built around while drinking. So if you are consistently white knuckling, I feel like it's very hard to get to that place that you mentioned of, of gratitude and of noticing the good. And you can do it, like you said, but I feel like to a certain degree, the whole point of us wanting to share this journey is to also bring to light the fact that life is really good when we quit, not life is miserable every day as we're trying to not drink. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And on the email that you sent to us, you said that in the beginning, you were scared just not knowing what life outside of drinking could look like. And you were like, even having thoughts of what am I going to fill my time with? How how did that answer unfold in the last year for you? How how has that been different than what you thought maybe? Yeah, that really was my biggest fear. It it was what am I going to do? If I'm not drinking, it was just so tied in with who I was as a person. And I just took it one day at a time. That's the God honest truth. And as days progressed, I realized like life is just, it's just that life. What it was is I was using alcohol to avoid life and avoid all the emotional stress that comes with it. And I try to be a very positive and happy person. So when there is a negative emotion involved in my life, I, I hide, I run, I get very hesitant to be involved with that. And so I used alcohol as a crutch to avoid it. And even if I was going through a bad situation, I could get drunk and then just forget about it. And the next morning, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as bad and I could then progress through there and then I would do it again that evening. So I really, I guess, I was always living life just kind of in a fog. And then once I stopped, life kind of the, the, the fog or the haze cleared and I realized why well, I've been doing this, just not to its fullest potential. And so I guess that fear of what am I going to do besides drink? I was just doing everything I was before. I just wasn't drinking while doing it or I wasn't drunk while doing it. And it was it was a, it was good. I, the, I guess it was really I had fear of what life was going to be like without alcohol. It wasn't so much what am I going to do? If yeah. I'm not drinking. And then I realized there really isn't anything to be afraid of. Now, I, I went through a pretty difficult time just two months into my sobriety. Um, my father-in-law, who I was really close with, my my family's really, I mean, it was really, he passed away extremely unexpectedly. And it was tough. And, I, you know, the, the morning after it happened, after he died, like, I woke up and I was just bawling in bed. And I just really wanted to drink. I wanted to run from the emotions that I was going through because I hadn't experienced anything like that sober. I mean, I'd lost friends and, and, and family in the military while on deployments and there was alcohol involved. I'd never had to face something so traumatic without alcohol. Yeah, you you answered my question because you were saying that 
you would always want to run away from these emotions. And I found that when we stop drinking, our emotions almost get heightened because we're not numbing out. So my question to you was going to be, how did you how did you learn to cope with those emotions, the negative ones or the ones we label as bad emotions or things that we don't like feeling once you weren't drinking? And I sounds like you got put to the test there. It, that had to be very painful. And did having that moment almost also give you strength and knowing that you can endure pain while not drinking? Yeah, absolutely it did. And I guess how I did it was really just realizing like I was there to connect and be close with my family. My wife, her father was the one that passed away and, and, and be there for my children and knowing like, even though this sucks, at least I'm here with you during this sucky time. And, and I'm here like physically, but more importantly, like I'm here emotionally. And, it, and it's okay to be sad and it's not as scary as, as we forgot it was, or like, I guess what I mean is I kind of forgot what it was to be sad or forgot what it was to be angry. And going through that again, I was like, okay, yeah, this is really crappy and life really sucks right now, but like, I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And there's going to be a tomorrow. There's, there's going to be a next amount. Like we're going to make it through this and we're going to do it together. After that, it, you know, like you had said, it, that showed me like I can do this, and and if I can get through this, if we can get through this as a family, like everything else, it's just gonna it's gonna be smooth sailing really from here on out. So, how has your family dynamic changed since you've been on this path? Other than just being emotionally available for those around you, have any dynamics at home shifted? Or tell me a little bit more about what's it like at home now. I haven't really thought about it. I guess uh, I I'm happy. It's not scary. You know, I, part of getting drunk every day and part of being an alcoholic every day is you're also hiding from that family life as well if, if you have one. And I guess it just it's like everything else. Like I am now part of the family and I'm, I'm happy to be there. And it's not scary like maybe I thought it was in my head. And just like where I was functioning in life, I was also functioning as a father and as a husband. I just feel like I'm at a different level. I'm at a higher plateau when it comes to being a father or a husband. But I, I have a hard time talking about this, I guess, because there is a lot of guilt and shame. And like, I may be doing better, but it's nowhere near where I want to be. So it's one of the things that I really am working on and trying to get better at. And 22 or 24 years of, of drinking, I, like, I guess, come up through the ranks and learn how to do that. As a new husband, I was drinking every day. And so like, I'm just now figuring out how to be a husband and a father for the first time. And it's hard. It's probably one of it is the thing I struggle with most, but I, I know it's going to get better. And like, I want it to get better. And I don't know. We're going to see. It's one thing that I'm going to work on for a long time. Yeah, it never ends. Just I'm just giving you a cyber hug as someone else who is a parent as well and someone who's felt that I felt like I've messed up multiple times. And I do feel like that is part of the journey as a parent, even if you don't struggle with with addiction or or anything we are all just really trying and I just want to I hope that you can commend yourself and that you give yourself a big pat on the back because you are doing many right things and there are no perfect parents but you can show your kids in and your wife in a million ways that you're just trying to better yourself every single day and and I know they see that so I just hope that you yeah I hope that you feel it and that and that you also are your own cheerleader in all of this. 
Absolutely. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Tell us about a day in the life right now. I just do you use any tools day to day? What works for you? Just walk us through a day in the life. You know, I just wake up, go to work, come home, be with the family, do that every day over and over again. But in regards to like recovery, I guess I'm just real open. I've always been pretty open, but I have some uh, mental health problems, I guess you'd say. I, I didn't know a better way of saying that. That's why I stopped for a second. But um, I have PTSD and I have some anxiety and depression issues. And I've always been real open with that. And so that's kind of how I've treated the, the drinking as well. And now that I'm in recovery, and I will be in recovery, I just, I'm real open about it. And that's probably the best tool that I'm using on a day-to-day basis is, like, I don't throw it out there and force it on people. But in my line of work, I don't think I had mentioned that in the beginning, but um, I do construction work currently. I work for a general contractor. We build buildings. So alcohol is real prevalent. And we, I, I primarily work out of town. Uh, Monday through Friday, I'm home on the weekends. And so we're staying in hotels and there's barbecuing and drinking and partying going on real late nights. And I guess really my daily recovery is just talking to the guys, letting them know, hey, I'm six months sober. Hey, I'm a year sober and everything in between. And and just letting them know. Like, and, and I do, I get asked questions. And, and when I see there's a problem, I don't like, hey, dude, you got a problem. I'm just, I bring it up and I start talking about myself. So hopefully they can maybe see some of, what I see in them, I guess I'm not really explaining it well, or I don't feel like I am. You I'm are, you are, it. you're open about it. You're having conversations and you are explaining yourself. You're sounds like you're doing a lot of service, maybe in a way where you can't tangibilize it, but services sharing and services being open to help. And I sense that that really motivates you with the guys that you work with. And I think that's a really nice factor to having your day, like knowing that you can, help others through your own journey. Yeah, I hope I am. And even if I'm not, I, I guess just being open about it and, and not being ashamed of it just reinforces me being okay with it. I, I feel like if I was ashamed or fearful to talk about it or embarrassed to talk about it, like then it's it's putting it in the dark, it's putting it in the closet and, and then it can sit there and fester and maybe I won't do as well or maybe I'll, I'll fail again and have another day one. But just by shedding the light on it and being very open and honest about it, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I just throw my arms out. And I'm, I'm like, I'm an alcoholic and it's okay that I am. And, and we're going to get through this and, and things will work out. Uh, do you hang out a lot with them? How is your social life? Do you, do you still feel comfortable going out or would you rather go home once the party starts? Tell me about how that has evolved for you. Oh, uh, really from the beginning. And I was from day one, like, listen, I'm not drinking anymore. But from the very beginning, it was awesome just to see the guys be like, well, okay, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, we can go inside or, you know, we won't drink around you. And, and I was like, no, 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 we're good. And so I do socialize with them. And I do go out with them. Um, we don't really like we, we work long hours where we're out of town. So we don't like go to bars and stuff. But at the hotels, you know, they'll be out drinking at the grill or whatever. And, and multiple times, they've somebody, different groups have been like, oh, okay, my bad, I'm, I'll put it away, or I don't need to drink right now. And it doesn't bother me. Maybe that was dangerous in the beginning, but it is how I did it in the beginning. And it's how I continue to do it now. And even more so now, I like, I'm okay with it. But even in the beginning, I was like, nah, you know, this is my choice. This is for me. This is not about you. And I'm not going to hinder what you want to do with your life because I'm making a decision for mine. And if it got bad, I would get up and walk away. I almost kind of recall that happening once or twice in the beginning, 
but but now it's not even a question. I can be around it. I part of me wants to go as far as like I could go work in a bar and be okay. I don't know if that's true, and I'm not going to test the, the, those waters, but yeah. I, I, I'm comfortable with it, and and so it doesn't bother me to be around it. It hasn't dampened my work social life whatsoever. Got it. What have you learned through your alcohol-free journey? What's been your like number one lesson that has really stood out to you? It's the fact that I am capable of accomplishing things. I am really motivated and and focused on setting goals right now and accomplishing them. And since I've been an alcoholic for most of my life, I've just kind of gone with the flow and let the cards fall where they may. And and so now like it's awesome to like set a goal and then work on it and accomplish it. And and this year of sobriety is really reinforced like that I am able to do that. And really I guess one of the biggest problems I have with what I went through as an alcoholic was that I had no other identity than that of an alcoholic. Yes, I was a service member. Yes, I became a father. Yes, I was a husband or am a husband. But like who I was as a person was just, I'm an alcoholic and I want to get drunk. And like, that is what my life encompassed. And so now it's rediscovering, redefining who I am as a person, what I want. And by like finding and identifying goals and what I want out of life, it's really helping to shape who and what I want to be. And it just, you know, my biggest regret is that it took 36 years or not quite that long, but 24 years or 22 years for me to start working on what I want to do with my life. It's never too late. And speaking of accomplishments, a little bird told me that you signed up for a marathon. Is that true? Yes. Well, I didn't sign up, but I am now focused in training to run a marathon. And I have set a date. There's a, the Marine Corps runs a marathon every year. I believe it's in Virginia. And it's in November. I don't know if I'm going to be ready for this November since it's only about six months and I haven't honestly ran in 10 years, but um, maybe next November. And if not, then I still plan on running a marathon on my sobriety date, which will be May. 13th of 2021 i've been working on it and it's not going as much as i wanted it's not i'm not progressing as much as i wanted but that's okay i'm just taking it day by day i've gone out and ran i'm really proud that i've done even that and i work you know that, that date is set though and i will do it i just I'm a little scared i'll be honest I think it's safe to say that this whole year hasn't been what anybody had planned. Oh, 2020. (laughs) But I do want to tell you that I think running is an amazing tool. It is one of my favorite tools. I, I haven't mastered the art of still meditation, but I do feel like when I go out to run, that's my favorite way of meditating, doing a moving meditation. And I, I get something out of going out to run for longer longer periods of time that I just I I can't seem to tap into that space in any other way so I'm always happy to connect with other runners and and when I saw that you were training for a marathon I I really wanted to make sure that I that I brought it up and I think it would be a great way to celebrate and honestly I I was gonna do a race here a couple of weeks ago but it got canceled so who knows Mm -hmm. if even the one that you're mentioning in November will still happen it's a large crowd of people usually so Maybe not 2020 for either of us, but 2021 will happen. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It's it's crazy. You, you said something about moving meditation. I hadn't heard that term until you just said it. But I recall with the Marine Corps, we ran quite a long distances. And I recall on some of these longer runs, that state of almost like Zen-like meditation 
you know, mile six. And, and that's what kind of reminded me that I am a runner. I have ran in the past. And I, that feeling just the other day, I was thinking about like that runner's high, which is what it can be called sometimes. I miss it, but I remember it. And it's so wonderful when you hit that, that that's honestly what made me want to run a marathon because I remembered it for some reason. I was like, man, I want to get there again. And I know I'm able to do it. And, and that's where that goal of running a marathon came from. Yes, you're definitely able to get back there. We can do hard things. And now that you're not drinking, I mean, the training just progresses so much quicker and there is muscle memory. And I it, it feels so great, like you're saying, to have that runner's high, that that Zen state that you can get into when it's a good running day. And it's it's a great tool, I think, in our journey. So I'm happy to know that we share that. What are what else are you excited about right now? What make what possibilities are keeping you hopeful and motivated? Daily life, rediscovering daily life, or that I've been rediscovering daily life. Um, I'm excited to go out and mow the grass again, whereas before it was such a chore because it took me away from what I wanted to be doing, which was drinking. It's really the little things, the little things in life that have come back to me and that I've noticed and been able to appreciate that I enjoy and that I look forward to. I mean, nobody likes mowing the yard or cutting the tree limbs or cleaning up the grass or whatever it may be, but I'm enjoying it and, and I'm, I'm happy that I'm enjoying it. The stuff that I thought was such a chore and wasn't really what I wanted to do years ago, I, I want to do now. There are days I don't want to, obviously, but it's just, I don't know, man. It, it's really just life in a nutshell that I look forward to. The little things make the big things. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, you could not say it any better than that. It's just general life and, and getting to rediscover it so, sober. And, and clear-headed and, and being there emotionally to enjoy it. Do you still get cravings? I still get the idea. Like the physical craving has been gone and, and I don't experience that anymore. Sometimes in pa podcasts that I've listened to in the past, you know, people bring up like, well, I really want to drink at my son's graduation or my daughter's wedding. I've never really had that type of regret or that, that oh, longing, but just, walking home or coming into the house and be like, oh, I guess a beer would be nice right now, but that's it. And then I'm like, well, I can't drink. So yeah, I guess maybe it would be nice, but I'm not going to drink. And so it's not even like a, it's not, it's a non question or it's a non thought. It may pop in once in a while, but it's, it, I want to call it a craving, I guess. Yeah. You can observe it. And it's sometimes, at least for me, it's more the idea of it versus an actual physical craving. Um, I have one more question for you before the rapid fire round. If you could talk to day one, Michael, what would you tell him? Uh, keep trying. That, that's honestly what I'd say to myself is even if you don't succeed today, you can try again tomorrow. And if you don't try again tomorrow, you can always try the day after that. Just keep trying. Yeah, there, there's no such thing as overnight success. Sometimes we just don't get to see all the, all the tries, all the attempts. So I really, I really like that advice. Okay, we have reached the rapid fire round. So if you can answer the following questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Are you ready? I am. Okay. What is a memorable memory sobriety has given you? Being with my family after my father-in-law's death. Being really close to them after it. Like connecting with them. What is a light bulb moment you had during this journey so far? That I am able to stop drinking like 
just the day it dawned on me, I remember that day. I was like, I really got this. Like I, I got today and that's all I'm focused on, but like, I got this. And it was a great feeling to finally realize like, I really can do this. Maybe that was all the doubt every other time I tried, but this time I like, I just knew I had it in me. What are some of your favorite resources in sobriety? Any podcast about recovery, any any app that helps you track it, and lots of motivational postings, music. I, I lean into music a lot just to keep my head clear and, and from wandering and thinking about all the bad things that can happen in life. What parting piece of guidance can you give listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? It would, it would go back to uh, just keep trying. You, we're gonna, you're gonna figure this out. We will figure it out, and and you will never succeed if you don't keep trying. All right, and before we depart, give listeners your own. You may want to ditch the booze if line. Uh, you might want to stop drinking alcohol if you've ever considered putting down on a resume that you're a daily drinker, but you're never late to work. <laughs> That's a new one. I like that one. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Michael. And thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Congrats on such a huge accomplishment recently once again. And keep it up with the running. Keep it up with inspiring others. And just thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Take care. Very well, Timari. That's a wrap on our interview today. Sometimes we go back to what is comfortable. And sometimes when we do that, we remove all new possibilities. My therapist jokes that growing pains aren't just called growing pains because it sounds cute. They're called growing pains because they freaking hurt. This journey is full of joy and full of welcome change. But today I felt compelled to share with you all that when it hurts, well, that's when you know that it's working. That's when growth is happening. That's when you put your seatbelt on and just try to enjoy the ride as much as possible. You may feel carsick and nauseous on the way to the top of the mountain, but trust that once you get there, the view will be worth it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, keep going. Trust the process and try not to throw up when the road gets bumpy. We can do this. I love you guys. <laughs>